Good morning. Good to see you here this morning. And uh, you're always welcome to move up. Uh, just to let you know, I just I have to say that every every time there, we have a holiday or something, because uh, I, I like to see you. I have bad eyesight. That's the that's the lesson here, folks. I want to be able to see your eyes when I, when I preach to you. Uh, my name is Doug Payne. I'm one of the pastors here. I'd love to get to know you. If we don't know each other, um, you're very welcome. A couple of things to say. Uh, I love the graphics for all of the affinity groups, so good job on those. Those are very pleasing aesthetically. And Frisbee golf, you know, growing up in the 90s, uh, I know it as Frolf, right? Frolf from Seinfeld. Another, I just, I just wanted to start, I wanted to get that one out of the way so we can start out the day right. Um, uh, so also, just to think about, if you're going to be a part of these things or especially the thing on Sunday afternoon, you're just going to have to plan, right? So typically when we have stuff somewhere else after Sunday, after church, we lose a lot of people because, just because there's a lot going on and we totally understand that. But if, if you want to be connected this summer, I just encourage you to plan ahead. Maybe Saturday night, just think, okay, what are all the things that we're going to do? Bring a lunch, you know, get my clothes together, all of that. So I just want to encourage you uh, that way. Um, we are in Colossians 3, so we are in a, a series in Colossians called Christ Over All, and for this will be the third week we're talking about sanctification, and uh, this is <laughs> actually, this is going to be part one of part two. I know, I know, I know. So we're going to be through uh, verses 12 through 14. There's just too much good stuff here, and I, don't, I didn't want to keep you for two hours, uh, so you're welcome. All right. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started, okay? Father, thank you so much that we get to gather together on Sunday. Father, we thank you that we can gather in hope, not because everything is going well in our life. Certainly, this last week has shown us though the world is broken and sad, full of sin, full of evil and hatred. And God, we're sad because we have also contributed to this. We have sin in our own hearts, and we have displayed that sin through our character, as, as in our thoughts, in words, and deeds. And we just come to you, and we ask you to forgive us. And we're thankful that we can come to a place like this, full of other sinners who are hoping in Christ. And, and we sang, Father, about your beautiful incarnation, that the God of heaven set aside glory, emptied himself, and became a servant, and took on human flesh, came into our world, stepped on this earth that you created, and was nailed to a cross of wood that you made. And by people that you made and yet rebelled against you. So we've sung of this glorious incarnation. And one of the things the incarnation has done, we sung about, is it's made a family. And here we are. And we look at each other. And in all of our hopelessness, we hope in you. God, we look for the day of your return. And Father, we're sad for the events of these past weeks, the loss of little lives, 
God. Parents outliving their children. And we cry out to you, how long? How, how long until you come back and make it right? So, Father, we, we pray that you would be with the families of those 19 children and of those two teachers and, and, and of, of classmates that saw their friends die. We pray that you would be near to the brokenhearted and save the crush in the spirit. This is the kind of event that you use to comfort people, to look big, to save. So we're asking that you do that. God, we're, God, we're also asking that you, Father, would, would protect all, all of the children. God, even the unborn. Would you put an end to abortion? God, would you, w- w- would you please protect the little ones? God, we, we ask that, that you would be at work even in, in those who have, who have sinned against the unborn this way, that, that they know, that they would know the love of Christ and that they could be forgiven and, and brought into your family. And that we would work hard to care for, for those who are downtrodden and hurting. But we do ask that you would protect all the little. You have said, let the little ones come to me. So we ask that you would do it. Use, use the goodness of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his fullness to rescue and ransom and redeem. And God, we, we ask as we dive into sanctification, we, we, just, we want to admit again that we've contributed to the sin in this world. We are, our sins are the reason Jesus was nailed to the tree. We don't look at other people's sins, we look at ours. And we confess, and we wait for you, O oh God. And as we talk about a family life and what it looks like to be more holy, to, to be like Jesus Christ and, 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 and be a testimony to this world, we, we pray that you would be at work among us, working your grace. Help us to remember what you have made us. And because of what you have made us, help us to live lives worthy of the gospel. Life's worthy of the salvation that you have wrought among us. We, we pray that you'd help us to put on the character of God as new clothes and, and let love bind it all together. Help us to be a witness of the gospel here in this church. And Father, we, we ask that you would do that in other churches in Corvallis and, and beyond Corvallis. God, we ask that you would be with First Baptist. Would you help them to live this way? First Baptist of Corvallis. They've gone several years without a pastor. Help us to be praying for them intentionally, that they might be a witness here of the gospel for many years to come that you'd give them a pastor. Help us think of ways that we can contribute to, to the health of their church. God, and we ask that you would make them stable and steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And Father, we, 
We do pray for our, our dear sister church in Portland, Oregon, Hinson Baptist Church, and we ask that you would, you would dwell among them uh, by your spirit as your word is preached and as they are a pillar in the ground of truth there for the gospel, that you'd give them success in honoring your name. May, they, may Jesus be praised and, and look, look big there. And may we all, all of us, have a heart for the nations to go out and to, to, to reach those who do not know you with the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God, I, I ask that you w- would be with us this morning to, to strengthen and stabilize us. And I pray the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing, O oh God, in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our Redeemer, and the one who sanctifies us. Amen. Just uh, one other announcement. Um, I'm going to be preaching at Christ Church Anglican next week. And one of the things that elders have decided we, we want to see happen is to, to be raising up younger guys so, um, who are, feel, we feel are gifted and are, are, are called to the preaching ministry. And this is our one time to do that. So everyone's looking at you, Sean. Everyone knows Sean's up. <laughs> so Sean's going to be preaching next week. So be reading Philippians in, in preparation for that. And uh, um, come and invite your friends. And let's pack this place out. Uh, so again, we're in uh, a, a series in Colossians called Christ Overall. So Christ is over everything. That's what we've seen Paul telling these folks. There's false teaching coming in, and Paul is telling them, don't let these people add to the gospel at all. It's Christ over all, over and over again. But now we're coming to the part where, uh, where Christ is over all, and Christ is over us, and Christ is over our relationships. So relationships are hard. Am I right? Can I get an amen here? Amen. Relationships are hard. Preserving unity in a relationship is hard work. Uh, so who's had a fight with their roommate this year? I'll, I'll pray for you uh, who didn't raise your hand, that you'll confess lying later on. Who, who has had a fight with their spouse this year? My hand is high. I'm not even looking at yours. You don't, who's had a fight with their parents this year? right? Who's had a disagreement or, or have had their feelings hurt by someone in this church this year? Relationships are hard work, friends. There are many opportunities in a long-term, close, long-term relationship for things to go wrong. I wonder why you think that is. Why is it hard for people who even love each other to get along? all the time. The first fight I can remember Bridget and I having was in our first apartment. We had been married a few months. We lived in Anaheim, California. Our first apartment was in Anaheim, California, the happiest place on earth. (laughs) It's where Disneyland is. And uh, it's happy most of the time. But we had been married a few months, and she and I were were, uh, taking a class together in Bible college. And uh, it was in San Dimas, rock on, San Dimas. Um, 
I don't even want you to watch the movie, so I'm not going to tell you what movie that is. Uh, after class, she dropped me off, so I get ready for work. I worked at DHL as a courier, and she dropped me off and went to park the car, and she'd be back up. And uh, in my family growing up, scaring each other, hiding, and then scaring each other was a national pastime. It was a blast, right? And when you, when you did that, when you were the one who got scared and, you know, maybe dropped to the floor on your knees from the fright, uh, you laughed it off and then you planned your revenge. So I went upstairs, I got dressed, and I hid. And when she got upstairs, I scared the living daylights out of her. And I learned at that moment, Bridget and I did not grow up in the same family, because she proceeded to punch me as hard, harder than I've ever been punched in my life. And looking back, I'm, I'm kind of proud of her, right? I had a wife that could take care of herself and I didn't have to worry about her. But in the moment, I thought I married Mike Tyson and I was in trouble. And, and so uh, what I realized, what's the lesson here, Doug? Okay, the lesson is don't scare your wife if she doesn't like to be scared. No, if I wanted to preserve relational unity in my new family, there were certain things I, I cannot do. And there were certain things I had to do. Scaring Bridget was on the top of the list of what you cannot do. You want relational unity? You want this relationship to last? There are certain things you have to do. Well, that's what Paul is telling the Colossian Christians. He told them that they have been put in a new family. If you are a Christian, if you put all your hope in Jesus, you are in a new family. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have God as your father, Christ as your older brother, and you have brothers and sisters, uh, not only in this church, but all over the world, because when Christ died, you died. A life is hidden in Christ with God. Colossians 3.3. When Christ died, you died. When he was raised, you were raised, Colossians 3.1. If you have repented of your sins and put your faith in Christ alone, then you are a new person. Paul says you have put off the old self, the old man, and you have put on the new man in your death and resurrection with him. Colossians 3, 9 through 10 says that. And because of this new reality, there are things, therefore, to keep putting off. Colossians 3, 8 tells us, he, Paul told the Colossians, but now you must put these things all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. You have to put off the things that are going to break down the relational unity because you are one in Christ Jesus. You've got to put off those filthy, stinking clothes to the dirty rags. I mean, just imagine if you went into a porta potty and fell in, what would be the first thing you do when you got out of that? You would take those clothes off and you'd take a shower right away. That's what Paul is saying. Your old clothes are like that. Put them off of you. And, and, and now this morning, he's going to tell us, he's not leaving you naked. He says, I have new clothes for you. You're a new person in a new family. You have new responsibilities and I've got you. Uh, I, I, I will take care of you. I will help you be clothed for this new family. And, and one of the reasons I'm saying this, this passage tells us how to preserve the relational unity that we have now been one to is, is because of these one another statements in Colossians 3, chapter 9. It says, do not lie to one another. 3.13 says, bear with one another. 
And then forgive one another. And let the peace of Christ rule in you, in verse 15, in your hearts, because you have been, you have been put into one body. So Colossians 3, 12 through 17 is, is telling us how to do that. How are we to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? How are we supposed to do that? And we're reminded right away, again, that God does not require something of us in order to accept us. He, he does not say, keep these rules and I will forgive you. He says, I have forgiven you, now you can live in this way. I, I, have, I, I, I have brought in brokenhearted failures and, and made you this way so that you might live this way. It's not the other way around, friends. If you think in order to be a good Christian, I have to do the, in order to get acceptance from God, I have to do these things, Paul says, that's not true. So in order to maintain, to preserve the relational unity of the church, he tells us, he reminds them again of who they are. If you want to maintain relational unity in this church and with Christians all over the world, you have to do four things. You have to remember God's love, put on God's character, put God's character on display, and bind it together with love. Remember God's love, put on God's character, put God's character on display, and bind it together with love. So first, remember. You must remember God's love. Those who trust in Christ alone for salvation, Paul says to them, put on then, and then interrupts himself. Put on what, Paul? And there's this dependent clause. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So he said, you have to remember who you are. You are chosen. You are chosen. You are God's chosen ones. You are elect. That's what the word means. This concept shows up in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. He, he chose the nation of Israel to be a people for his own name. And you remember, as we went through Exodus, this is, this is what he did. He chose them, his people, not because they were anything special, but because he chose them. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7 Verses 6 through 8 says, For you, Israel, are a, are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of this earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I loved you and chose you because I wanted to. That's what he's saying. And Paul's logic, Paul, the logic here is the same as Paul's. Since God chose you and will save you into the land then obey and be holy. Because of who you are, you're the elect. Now, election is a scary word for some of us, right? For many of us, it brings up 
notions of unfairness with God. But I want to assure you, dear friend, that God is not unfair and that he also chooses. And if he did not choose to save some, none of us would be saved. And and those whom he does choose are not chosen because of anything in them, good or bad, but because of the loving goodness of God. Romans 9, 14 through 16 says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, and I might show my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth, so that then he has mercy on whomever he wills and whoever And he hardens whomever he wills. So dear friend, if you're worried about whether you're one of the elect or not, all you need to do is just turn to Christ. He will receive you. He, He will welcome you. But friends, this is very good news because if God had not chosen us, we would certainly not choose him. And this gives us great confidence in his love for us. You you cannot mess it up. If God chose you and set his love on you and then gave his only chosen son to die for you, what can you say to these things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Nobody can do it. And friends, this is good news. It gives us confidence in his love and it gives us confidence in sharing the good news with our friends because our salvation doesn't depend on human exertion. It doesn't depend on our presentation, but it also doesn't depend on, on the person themselves, but on God who has mercy. And as we have experienced the mercy of God, God's grace freely comes forth. God's grace is freely offered, never deserved. God not only elected these Colossian Christians, but he also calls them holy. So if you are going to preserve relational unity, we are going to have to remember that we are chosen and that we are holy. This is the word for saints, friends, there in verse 12. Remember, dear friends, that you are holy. Holiness in our lives is is not only a command, it's also a reality, If you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and and trusted him alone as Savior and Lord, then the Bible says you are in Christ. It it means that you have union with him. When he died, you died. When When he was raised, you were raised. You have union with Christ. You're in him, and he calls you a saint. He calls you holy. This is a reality for the Colossian Christians and for you. There are no great acts for you to yet perform in order for you to become a saint. You are a saint, holy, beloved. You must remember this. If you're going to persevere in relational unity in this church, in whatever church you end up next, and in all churches everywhere, remember you are chosen and you are holy. And the third thing Paul wants the Colossians to remember is that they are beloved. Friends, we're gonna, if we're going to persevere in, in relational unity, we have to remember that we are loved. If you have died with Christ and have been raised with him, then God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. 
Does that sound like heresy to you? It's shocking. It's surprising. But if you're connected to Jesus, he loves you in the same way he loves Jesus. Because Jesus' work was accomplished for you. And you, that connection to him is true and real. It's not, it's not supposed or abstract. It's, it's as real as you are sitting here. And the Colossian Christians, they, they needed to hear this because the false teachers were, con, were, were condemning them. Remember, Paul, Paul said earlier in their letter, don't let anyone judge you or condemn you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. The false teachers were condemning and disqualifying based on some, some religious rules that they had made up, this false humility. And, and Paul says, and Paul writes to them and says that all those who trust in Christ alone have been qualified together to share in the inheritance of the saints. Chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. says, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his what? Beloved son. God loves you if you're in Christ as much as he loves his beloved son. So much so that he calls you the same thing. This is the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's how he can love us. But he really does love us. Jesus is called the beloved son, and any in Christ are beloved because Christ is beloved. Some of us have labored our whole lives to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. In Christ, they're already yours. We work hard to find our identity in being right and self-sufficient and trying to earn love, but God loves you, dear friend, not because of what you get right. He loves you because he loves you, because you're connected to Christ. Now, some, some of us in this room are, are just not there yet. We're, we are nominal Christians or not Christians at all. Christians maybe in name only. And we think that we've earned God's love because we're good people, or because we do good things, or because our good things outweigh our bad things, but that is not true. You can only be called beloved because of God's good grace. So I call to you, dear friend, to trust in that grace alone. Trust in Christ alone, and he will save you. He will in no wise cast you out. So he tells us, put on, then he interrupts, and he says, you are chosen, holy, and loved. You want to know why you can persevere in, in, in relational unity? You want to know why this church is going to glorify God in, in, its, in its clothing? It's because of who you are in Christ, chosen, holy, and beloved. And now he says, it's time to get to work. It's time to put the clothes on. Put on, get dressed in God's character. It's time for us to reflect who we are, and who we are relates to who God is. So he says, he gives us five virtues to replace the five vices of verse 8, and he tells us to put on God's character, which is a compassionate heart. He starts there in verse 12, compassionate hearts. The old translations used to call this bowels of mercy, because it, what, what he was talking about, what the heart is talking about, is the, the inner seat of the emotions. 
You know, that's why, they, that's why you get butterflies in your stomach, right? That's, that's why when you're in love, you, you feel it. You have feel all the feels, right? It, it's, it's there, and, and, and it reflects Jesus' heart for those who are in need. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, he had great compassion on the people he was about to feed through the loaves and the fish because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had great compassion. A heart that has mercy on those in need. This is the appeal. In Romans 12, 1, there's an appeal, brothers by the, and sisters, by the mercies or compassion of God's heart to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. God wants you to put on a heart like he has, merciful, tender, going out to people in need without worry of being taken advantage of. Not only compassionate hearts, he says, put on kindness, put on the clothing of kindness. The second virtue to put on relates to the goodness of God. The, 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 the goodness of God in Psalm 31, 19, he says, Lord, your, your goodness is abundant to all you have made. Romans 2, 4 tells us that it is because of God's kindness that we're led to Repentance. We're supposed to put on compassionate hearts of mercy and kindness. And then humility. The next virtue is, is real humility as opposed to the false humility. Earlier in Colossians, the, the false teachers were telling them to put on, to, to take part in asceticism, to, to beat their body and, and, and to look humble. But Paul says that's actually false humility. That looks like humility, but it's actually pride. And Paul is saying, put on humility. What kind of humility? What is humility? It looks like Jesus. Philippians 2, verses 3 and and verses 8 tells us what it looks like. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul is telling us that we need to die to self-regard. We need to die to thinking of ourselves more than others. But what would this look like in, in our conversations together? I think it would look like hearing other people putting to death, uh, it, it would look like hearing other people and putting to death us formulating answers in our minds to what they're saying to us because we disagree with them. It would look like hearing them out. It, it might look like in your conversations with one another, being genuinely concerned about what the other person. Most of us, view all of our relationships through, through our, the lens of ourselves or, or, or how this affects me. I, I, it happens to me all the time. And, and, and Paul is telling us to put to death self-regard like Jesus did at, at the cross, to, to think of others more highly than ourselves. And then he says to put on the clothes of meekness, gentleness. The, the word means gentle. 
Taken together with humility or lowliness, we have the self-description of Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Why? Because he's gentle and lowly. He, 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 is, he, is, he is a man who is gentle with us. And he's humble. If this is who Jesus is, then this is what we must put on because of who we are. You are chosen, holy, and beloved, so put on compassionate hearts, put on goodness, put on humility, die to self-regard, put on gentleness. And then the last one is to put on patience, which will connect down to the next point. But it's, it's, it's the patience is bearing up under provocation. Bearing up under provocation. These, these are the clothes. These are not an exhaustive list of Christian character traits, but these are, the, these are the five virtues or characteristics of God himself. And they, they replace, you know, some of the, the, the vices. So God is not just saying, put these things off. He's saying, put these things on in their place. Friends, I, I just want to commend you for how I have seen this at work among us. In, in our elders' meetings, I, I have seen guys die to self-regard. I have seen men lay down their lives for others. I've seen genuine goodness among us. As we have hearts for those who are in need and making meals and meal trains for people who are having children and for those in need. May those clothes be uh, put on more and more. May they be more brilliant and, and more vibrant among us. And friends, all of this happens because of, the, uh, because of who we are in Christ Jesus. We are, we are chosen, holy, and beloved. So not only do we put the clothes on, but how do we wear the clothes? What is the manner in which we wear the clothes of God's character? And, and why does it matter for preserving relational unity? And Paul tells us in, the, in, in verse 13 that the way we wear the clothes puts on God's character on display by bearing with one another. In verse 13, bear with one another. Bearing with one another and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you, so you also must forgive. God's character is put on display most beautifully when it comes in contact with, with the sinful, with those who provoke or annoy or wrong us in some way. As I saw this illustrated in my church in Portland, Michael Lawrence was the pastor, and as a pastoral resident, you're behind the scenes, and you get to hear a lot of conversations that most people don't, and for good and for bad. And I asked him if I could use this, and he, he said yes. But I, I remember him on the phone uh, with some members trying to settle a financial dispute between two members of the church. And, and I remember him pleading with one member not to take the other member to court. And it wasn't over an insignificant amount of money. And I remember Michael said, friend, let me pay what is owed you. 
I, I, will, I will bear this myself. Michael Lawrence was teaching me and the church how to bear with the members in a costly way. Because preserving the relational unity of the church was more important than his bank account. Closely related to bearing with one another is forgiving one another. To put God's unifying love on display in our church, we're going to have to keep no record of wrong. Forgiving one another. And, you know, Jesus illustrates this beautifully as in Luke chapter 7 when, when he's, uh, he, he's sitting at dinner in a house and a, and a woman of the city, maybe a, a prostitute probably, a sinner came and she washed his feet. She was overcome by emotion. She washed his feet with her tears and she wiped them dry with her hair, which was the glory of a woman. To do this was an, was an act of worship. And the religious hypocrites said in their hearts, and that if Jesus knew who she was, he would not let her touch him. So Jesus told a parable. He told a parable about two men who owed money to him. One 500 denarii, the other 50. A, a denarii was, was like a year's worth of wage. So 500 was 500 years of wages owed. And it says he could not pay. And what did the master do? Do you remember? The words Jesus used, he said he canceled the debt. And who do you think will be more thankful for their debt being canceled? Who will love more? That is the word that Paul uses here, forgive, cancel debt. This is exactly what Jesus does for all those who turn to him. He cancels a debt they could never repay. He says, paid in full. Maybe someone has really wronged you in this church or, or somewhere else. It, it may feel like you cannot forgive them. Debt is too much. But think about this, friends. Think about what Jesus said our sins are. The wages of sin is death. How many sins have you committed in your life? Millions, billions, trillions, maybe. You are in debt to God for all of those sins. There's a debt you cannot pay. Every thought, word, and deed is contrary to his character. You and I have earned death a million times over. But... If you have acknowledged your sin and turned to Jesus alone for forgiveness, this is what he says has happened to you. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross, paid in full. So when the devil tells you not to forgive, you preach this gospel. I have been forgiven a million lifetimes of debt to God. Because I'm a new creature, I cannot and will not withhold forgiveness from this person. Friends, forgiveness should be freely offered, though it is rarely deserved. God says, this is how you wear the clothes. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. And very quickly, at the end here, 
We bind it all together with love. Love brings it all together. He says in verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Instead of, you can translate, instead of above all things, you, could, you, you can translate it upon all things or over all of these things, like an overcoat that goes over the clothes that binds them together, that brings the, the peace together and covers and protects it. That's what love is like. Love is the, the chief virtue that brings them all together. You can have all these other things. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us you can, you can even offer your body to be burned, but if you do not have love, it doesn't mean anything. Love binds it all together in perfect harmony. That word we've seen before in chapter 1, verse 29, where Paul says, here's, here's the hope of what he's doing. Uh, of verse uh, 28, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, when love's at work binding all of God's character traits together in us as a church, it comes out as maturity. It comes out in perfect harmony. And, and next week, we're gonna, the metaphor is going to change to like a, an orchestra or an a cappella choir there, where all of these voices are coming together in, in perfect harmony to make a beautiful sound to God. That's what love does. It binds us all together in all these character traits together and puts God on display. Love, just think about love as defined in our current culture. It, it always terminates on self, doesn't it? Self-expression or inner feelings. But in the Bible, love has others in view. What are the two great commandments? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is, this is putting on God's character on display, and, it's, and it will preserve our relational unity here, friends. I'm thinking about this. I, I'm not going to use any names because I didn't ask them if I could say this, but what has happened in our church recently is someone had a complaint against another, went to them, sat them down, and said, I have this against you, and forgave. And in humility, this other friend received that admonition. Forgiveness was offered, forgiveness was given, and love was binding. Why? Why did this happen? Because they decided to, to put the unity, the relational unity of this church as more important than themselves. And for us, it's a, it, it, is a, it is putting God's character on display. Friend, how will we persevere in relational unity so God is glorified? Remember God's love. Put on God's character. Put God's character on display by bearing and forgiving and bind it all together with love. This is, this is what God has for not only the Colossian church, but for the branch church. So, so how, will we, how will we put this into practice, dear friends? How, how will we put this into practice when the service is over, 
and people are busy and want to go their way. I just encourage you to stay around. Put God's character on display. What, what will happen on, on Monday morning when we forget everything that was said and done here? And we're stuck in our, our cycle of, uh, uh, of self-hatred or we're, we're stuck in our cycle of selfishness or, or, or the, we're, we're stuck in our anxiety. Remember who you are. Remember God's love. And then put on God's character. Put it on display. Bind it all together because God really loves you. In Jesus Christ, he loves you. Let's pray.